morning, church. Scripture today is in John 20, verses 11 through 29. If you have the house Bible, it's on page 528. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know what that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into the side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you ever believed because you have seen have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Well, hey, Cassie, don't worry about adding the extra 10 verses. Uh, I'm just going to be having to preach on 10 more verses this morning. So everybody else might be upset at you, but I really am thankful for it. Um, (laughs) You'll all be praying for Jesus to return a lot sooner, won't you? Um, I love that bumper video. And one of the reasons why I love it is because I love God's word being spoken in multiple languages. And here is something that's really amazing about this Easter celebration is that God's word has been spoken over several thousands of languages this weekend. And then I also want to remember in Sri Lanka, as God's word was spoken there, there were terrorists who went in overnight while we were sleeping into those places of worship and cause great destruction on this Resurrection Sunday. And do you know what our answer is to that death and destruction? He is risen. He is risen. And do you know what our recourse is for those who seek to bring destruction to those who proclaim the resurrection? You can be forgiven. In Christ's name. 
It's something that Jesus showed us. It's something that he displayed for us. Because we remember here on Easter Sunday that it wasn't just everybody else's sin that put him on the cross on Good Friday. But as Mel Gibson showed us when he directed the movie The Passion of the Christ, he wanted his hand in that screenshot, in that shot, to show that it was also his sin that nailed him there. It was his sin that put him there. It's my sin that put him there. It's your sin that put him there. And so to all those who would ridicule and mock or seek to bring destruction to the great name and fame of Jesus Christ, he offers them something so marvelous. And it's the same thing that we see he gave to the apostle Paul. He offers them life and sonship in him. It's scandalous. It's scandalous, the beauty of the cross. And on this Easter morning, I had the opportunity to walk through the cemetery that's across the street from my house, Greenwood Cemetery. And last year I noticed it on the way home that there were noticeably more people in the cemetery on Easter Sunday. I'm going to drive home today and I'm going to see that. Because there's a great hope that we long for. Is that the end of life is the beginning. Because if we take Jesus at his word, we can believe that. This year it's personal for me. It's more personal than it's ever been. After losing my beloved father, it's so personal for me. On my cell phone, I have this shot of my dad that I've made to be the image background. My wife says I terrorize myself with it because I look at it and I start to weep. And it was the last picture he took on his cell phone. He was in the, in the rehab center and he had a, had a stroke and he was working on a smile. And so you have with his left hand, because he couldn't move his right hand, he's taking a left-handed selfie and he's working on that smile. In one shot, you have his like this and it's like this and about a series of eight shots over four or five days. The Monday before he died, he got it. And that smile was there. That's the smile I see on my dad today. And that's the smile that God so graciously gave him with his beloved son, who was his sacrifice and rose again and brought him there too. It's the great hope of Easter Sunday. And so we have this story from John, this account. And the focus is on this woman, Mary Magdalene. It's early in the morning. The moon is still visible. It's got the early morning glow of the sun just breaking the surface of the night. And she's headed down to the tomb. And she sees that the stone has been rolled away. So she tells Peter and John. Peter and John, they confirm it. And then they go back home. And Mary's there before this open tomb. The stone has been rolled away. And her thoughts are probably given to just a couple things. I mean, either someone stole the dead body of Jesus... Because within his burial, 
There were spices and valuable things and the linen cloth. But why would they steal this body and leave all that stuff there? Because the body would not have been of any value. Or maybe the Romans did something else. Maybe the Romans wanted to make sport of his dead body to say, don't cross Rome. And so you could know that the tragedy just got even more significant for her as she grieved outside of that open tomb, not realizing what happened to the body of her Lord. And she walks in and there's these two figures dressed in white, one at the head of where Jesus would have been laying and one at the feet of where Jesus would have been laying. And she goes in and her eyes are filled with tears and she's wailing and she's weeping and she's crying and grieving. And they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? Where have they taken him? She says, where have they taken him? Where have they taken my Lord? And then from behind her, another voice comes. And as she's on her knees, she looks back and peers up. And it's unrecognizable, this person, thanking him maybe to be the gardener. And he says to her, woman, why are you weeping? She says, where is my Lord Where have you taken him? You see, she came to deal with the dead body of Jesus. She came to make sure he was given a proper burial. And this voice in the background and his face, because her eyes were so distracted by the tears and her mind was so distracted by the grief, she could not picture this person to be who he was until... She heard his voice calling her name. He says, Mary. Mary. Nobody said her name like that. And in an instant, the chaos that was filling her heart with grief became an unspeakable joy and elation to know that her Lord lives and she jumped up and she turned around and she gave him that biggest hug you know that big hug that you get from your loved one that says I never am gonna let you go I am not letting you go anywhere we are just gonna stay here forever and she held him and she said to him these this word which must have been what she called him, Rabbanai, which means teacher. And it was not like a schoolgirl relationship in the school system. It was this person was her heated mentor. This person was the one whom she looked to as the author of life. Rabbanai is the one that says, my life, is in your hands. You are my teacher and I'm committed to do what you say because I belong to you. And the warmth of that embrace and at the words of Jesus Christ, we see this beautiful picture of Jesus seeking the broken. Jesus seeking the broken. 
You know, Mary went into that tomb looking for a dead Jesus. You and I would have done the same thing. We would have looked for the dead Jesus because we would have seen him as Mary did in all the four gospel accounts. She was there. She witnessed it. He died on that cross. She saw it happen. It was horrific for her. She watched it to the last minute. And she witnessed that tragedy. And then the next day she woke up with that tragedy. And then the day after she woke up with that tragedy again And she didn't expect things to change. She saw death in the face and said, I'm just going to deal with it. Anybody ever been there before? You can't avoid it. It's there. The other day we were watching Hunger Games. Anybody ever seen the movie Hunger Games or read the books? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah? Maybe? No? Okay. If you haven't, that's your homework. You know when I give you homework, you got to do it. So we're watching Hunger Games and we were actually uh, had started this series of movies with my kids for the first time in Grandpa's RV. Uh, we, he had taken us to uh, Salt Springs up in Ocala National Forest, and he's got this wonderful RV, and it's camping, right, in all of its brilliance. It's glamping, really. We're not camping. It's a cop-out. And there's a TV, nice TV there, and there's a couch area, and there's a table area. So there's plenty of theater seating in this, uh, in this auditorium here. And we're all laying up there, uh, up there, meaning above the cab, there's a bed, and that is the best seats. Those are the ones you pay top dollar for. And um, as we're laying there watching the, the movie or getting the movie started, my daughter Lily decides that she's going to retire for the night which is very rare for my daughter, Lily. She does not ever decide to retire for the night. But on this particular night, she decided to retire for the night. So she crawls in her bunk bed and she closes the curtain and she falls asleep while we begin this movie, uh, Hunger Games. And Camden and Adeline, my two 10-year-olds, are hooked. They're addicted. They love it. And so when we get home, they want to watch the other ones. And so they start watching the other ones. And so Lily decides she's going to join in on part two. And so she watches part two, part three. And you know, part three actually has part four if you're watching the movie. And so she watches part four. And then she decides, wow, I've got to catch up and watch the first one now. And so we watch the first one. And she's watching the first one. And things are getting kind of intense there. As she's watching it, Katniss Everdeen is about to about to be in the fight of her life and she's in the tree and the tribunes are waiting her out while she's in the tree and she's trying to figure out how am I going to get out of this and then Rue from the other tree points to the tracker jackers which are these killer wasps if you haven't watched the movie by the way this is a spoiler alert and so the branch is there and then this nest of tracker jacker is there and Katniss sees it and she sees them laying and sleeping on the ground as they're waiting her out and so she quietly goes up and she takes her knife and she starts sawing at this branch and as the tracker jackers are coming and stinging her Lily can't take it anymore she covers her eyes and I say to her oh no Lily Katniss is gonna die here (laughs) and Lily looks at me and rolls her eyes and she says "Uh uh-uh I seen the end And she confidently starts watching the rest of the movie. (laughs) Now, there are times in life where we just want to crawl into a hole and let it all blow over. Because we don't know how this thing's going to end. 
I think Mary must have been there. I think Peter, James, and John, and the disciples, they must have been there. They wanted to just crawl in a hole because they could not see the end. But yet Jesus, he steps into Mary's life. He steps into Mary's brokenness and he shows her the end as not the dead Christ confronts her, but a Christ who's alive says, the story's not done. Let's keep watching. Let's keep trusting. Let's keep going. And he gives her himself in the midst of her brokenness. Sometimes when you're broken, you just need somebody. Because you feel isolated, you feel alone. Mary had been healed by Jesus from demon possession. Seven demons had overtaken her and Jesus had cast them out. So she was a woman who knew forgiveness. And she was the woman who was grieving the most. And ironically enough, in the Bible, we stand here on the testimony of a woman. Now, you might be like, oh, some girls are like, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, no, you didn't just say that. Yeah, yeah, I did, because that would have been unheard of then, that the authenticity and the authority of Scripture would have been heard on the testimony of a woman, and she was the first Christian to see the dead, buried, and resurrected Christ and say, I've seen the Lord, Mary. She was the one that gave that first good confession of the hope of the world. And in the court of Roman law, a woman's testimony would not have been admissible, but on all four gospels, it's the women who see Jesus first. And that testimony still stands today because God says, I'm for you women. I'm for you like no one else. And it's the the gospel says to us today, I'm for all of you that make that good, good confession. I have seen the Lord. And so I want us to know that, Mary, that while Mary seeks the dead Jesus, the alive Jesus seeks Mary in her brokenness, in point of desperation and need. And that's true of us today. It's true of us today. You, you know, you, you can get in the religion of it, but I think we need the humanity. The religion of it says that we're just going to follow these routine and these rote traditions and we are going to kind of do the Easter thing, the church thing. But the humanity of it says that we've all been in that place of brokenness and Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And even today, right now, 2,000 years later, Jesus is seeking you out. He's finding you in that place of brokenness and he says... I'm giving you myself. And as Mary is holding him tight, Jesus is saying, Mary, Mary, things are different now. Things are different now. I cannot be with you here right now because you're going to be with me where the Father is forever. So you're going to have to let me go. You're going to have to let me go. There's a new relationship, right? It's not just a Jesus who's present in her life at that point. It's the Jesus who's going to be with her forever. Isn't that greater? Isn't that greater? Those of you who have lost loved ones, I mean, we miss them, don't we? 
But the promise of Christ is where I am, they shall be with me. And so the promise of eternal life is one of forever. It's one of forever. It's one of forever. It doesn't stop. It keeps going. Eternal life in Jesus because of the forgiveness and grace found at the cross of Christ. He finds us alive in our brokenness, in our deadness. And he breathes that life unto us. And he says to her this this wonderful thing. As he's speaking to, to Mary here. He says, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And he says this right before saying that. But go to my brothers and say to them this. Go to my brothers. Go tell the boys, Mary. And she hightails it there, man. She is going fast to the boys to tell them that she has seen the risen Lord. Go tell the brothers. The word that Jesus uses is interesting here. Why would the king of the universe put himself at the level of brothers with his disciple? Why would the king of the universe... Choose to say, go tell my brothers. Don't go tell my subjects. Don't go tell my servants. Don't even go tell the disciples. But he says, my brothers. There's these little clues in scripture that tell us what Jesus is talking about. And I think one of them is in the fascinating parable that you're all so familiar with. It's the prodigal son. In the story, there's the story of a father and two sons, two brothers. One of them is driven by self-indulgence and the other is driven by self-righteousness, if you read the story. And and let me tell tell it to you this way. You have who is known as the younger brother, the lost son. He has got a bucket list that he needs to check off on. And so he goes to his father, who's a very wealthy man. And he says, you know, dad, I'm just not enjoying life all that much and Hmm, you're going to die one day, aren't you? His father's knowing this son's rebellion, grieving inside, says, yeah. He says, well, and when you die, there's a portion of your estate that I can get, isn't there? Yeah, there is. He says, I, I, I just can't seem to find happiness, dad. I just can't seem to find what I want and what I need and I feel so limited here and I'm being held back and so dad why don't we just do this why don't you just give me my portion of the inheritance now we'll call it even and I'll go and I'll go find what I'm looking for and so dad writes a check son takes it to the bank he's got the cash and he just starts knocking the bucket list items off yep did it did it did it done and before you know it he's been to Las Vegas and all his money is gone And he's starting to be filled with guilt and shame because he knows he's brought dishonor on the dad. He knows he's brought dishonor on his good name and household. And so he thinks to himself, I can never go back to the father. I can never go back to him. And he finds himself in a pigsty. 
And you know it's getting bad when the stuff you're feeding the pigs start to look appetizing. (laughs) And he has dreams of better days. When he was with his father. What he ate then. The embrace of his father. The warmth of his father. The care of his father. The beauty of his father's household. And he remembers the servants. And the servants even lived and ate really well in his father's house. And he has an idea. He says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my dad. And I'm going to say, Dad. I'm not even going to. can't call him dad anymore. I'm I'm just going to say, hey, master, can I be your servant in your household? Just let me be your servant. Now what he doesn't know is that his father's been waiting on the front porch every evening for his son to return. He doesn't know the grief that his father has been going through while his son has been away. He doesn't know that in his father's heart he hasn't said good riddance, but he's saying, I can't wait until I see him again. And so as the sun's coming down in the distance, the father's sitting on the rocking chair of the front porch in the dirt road. He sees his this figure, and as it gets closer and closer, he starts to recognize that this is his son. And so he stands up, and back in those days, they had robes, and so he pulled up his dress, <laughs> and he starts running to his son. And as his dad is meeting him there, the son finds himself on his knees, ready to give the speech that he had prepared for his father. And his father says, I'll hear nothing of it. You are my son. You are my son. And he says, give him the ring of our household. Give him the robe. Kill the fattened calf. My lost son has come home. And then there's the older brother who realizes that what just happened was very, very costly for him. Because for the father to welcome home the younger brother who had just taken a third of the inheritance and squandered it, it meant that he now would get another third and that the older brother would now be treated as a younger brother because the younger brother would now get two-thirds of the inheritance and him only one-third. And he's worked really hard for that that two-thirds. He's worked really hard. He's done everything the father said to do and he could not understand why the father was always on that front porch waiting for the younger son because he disarmed him and everything. And he's done everything right. He's earned that. He's earned that inheritance. He's earned the father's blessing. He did it. He deserved it. And then the father goes and does this. And the older brother is so irate, so furious when the celebration's going on in the house. He, he can't handle it. He goes outside and The loving father goes out to the older brother and he says, can't you see? My son was lost and he's home again. Join us in the celebration. Join us here. There's something that an author and pastor Tim Keller says about this story that makes you start to think more and more about what God was trying to communicate in this. It's that self-indulgence and lostness can't earn you salvation, nor can self-righteousness or trying to earn it. But you must be given grace for free. And that's what the Father lavished upon the Son was free grace, unearned, 
undeserved because he chose to. And Tim Keller says there's actually what should have been the true elder brother. A true elder brother would have went out and find, found the lost younger brother. A true elder brother would have went and brought him to the father and said to the father, Father, take him as your own again. Take him as your own again. Even if it costs me, take him as your own again. And the true elder brother would have brought the lost younger brother before the father and said, on my account, he's your son. Not because he deserves it, but because I deserve it. I am your perfect son. Do you see that there's only one brother that could have done that? And that was Jesus Christ. It's kind of like the story of Joseph, isn't it? When Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers and he is in Pharaoh's court and his brothers are now starving and it's some years later to where he's unrecognizable, but he's the prime minister of the kingdom of Egypt. And as his brothers realize that this man whose life, who holds their, his life in his hands is there, they're freaking out. That now he could do whatever he wants to to us. And then Joseph, giving us a picture of the Christ in the true elder brother, says what you meant for evil, God intended for good. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. And as these disciples are in the room and they have the doors locked, Jesus, you know, He just rose from the grave. And by the way, he didn't need the rock to move from the tomb in order to get out. The reason why the stone wasn't there is so we could look in and see he was out, right? He could just go wherever he wanted to go. And so he went into the house and he found out these disciples. And he said to them in the midst of their fear of the Jews, because they think that somehow There's this mess around the lost body of Jesus and they're going to be next brought on trial and potentially even crucified. The Jesus risen goes into the house and says these words, peace, shalom, shalom. You you know those, those words, shalom? They really matter in the midst of your fears. In the midst of your anxiety, in the midst of your depression, in the midst of this drunk monkeys at night bumping up and down in your head and you wondering how you're going to get through the next day. That's where these disciples were. Even though crazy Mary comes running through the door and saying, I've seen the Lord. They're like, yeah, right, woman, you're nutso. And then he walks through the doors and goes in there and he says, peace, peace. Shalom. Oh, it's such a beautiful picture. And he came and stood among them. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. They witnessed it. They saw his hands being driven with the stake into the cross. They saw the Roman guard puncture the side and the water come out to confirm that he was in fact dead. 
They saw it. And here he was to show them that Christ is certainly risen, that Mary should have been listened to, and that the tomb is empty. And he says, peace, shalom. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Receive the Holy Spirit. You know those disciples wanted to embrace Jesus just as much as Mary. And Jesus says to the disciples, receive the Spirit, the one who's with you in life, the one who's with you day by day, the one who's in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory, the one who proclaims the worth and value of Christ, not only through you, but to you. The one who conquers those fears on a day-by-day basis. The one who said this morning, while you may have been even too anxious or depressed to come to church, he said, fear not. Fear not. And you came. And he is the one that's going to see you through. And he's the one who was with the disciples as they planted the first church. And he's the one that has done the marvelous miracles of salvation through the ages. And he's the one that's alive today. And he's the one that indwells in us. And he says to us, the mark of forgiveness is upon us. So go and be a people of forgiveness. If you have not tasted forgiveness, then you will never be able to give it. And that we are to go and be a people of forgiveness. In the light of Jesus Christ. That's his kingdom is marked by it. How do you know that you have the indwelling work and power of the Holy Spirit? You powerfully show the mighty power of forgiveness. The might and glory of God on display. Because that's what Easter is all about, isn't it? Forgiveness. That's why we celebrate it. Not because we're high and mighty, not because we deserved it, not because we're the older brother who stayed in the home and obeyed every command of the Father, but because He gave us not what we deserved, He gave us what He deserves, which is to be counted righteous before a holy God. That's forgiveness. He gives it. He's saying to them, You've been forgiven, just like Joseph said to his brothers. So they need not fear the Lord. And then finally, there's Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. Who who knows the nickname of Thomas? Anybody? What's Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas. That's his nickname. Now, that's not in the Bible. We gave him that nickname. Thank God it's not in the Bible because the Bible is not making fun of Thomas because we're actually all like Thomas. And so you can call me Doubting Ryan because I doubt often. I think doubt is something that helps us understand our faith. I think we have to seek to understand those doubts versus versus pushing them away. But I think there's a place where we go to understand those doubts, and that's the person and work of Jesus. And so while Thomas is doubting, Jesus is seeking him. (laughs) He sought the disciples, he sought Mary, and now he's seeking Thomas. And Thomas is told by the disciples after hearing it from Mary, now Peter and John and the others are saying it to Thomas, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas's response to them was this, unless I see the hands, his hands, the mark of the nails, 
and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I'll never believe. He's been disillusioned. He's been dechurched, so to speak. He's had enough of religion. He's had enough of this thing. He's I'm, I, fool me once. It's on you. Fool me twice. Man, it's on me. I ain't going near this again. If this is real and I need to see those marks, I need to see those piercings. And eight days later, he lets eight days go by and Thomas still doesn't believe. You got to imagine that the, the beloved disciples are trying to convince him and like, no, Thomas, it's real. Like, come on, man, believe. And then Jesus comes in. He's like, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. And then his hands, well, I see him. And Jesus goes to him. And he does it. He does exactly what he said. Put your finger here. And see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's the word for us today. Don't disbelieve, but believe. In the midst of our unbelief, we, like the centurion who prayed for the healing of his daughter, and Jesus did it from afar, he says, do you believe? And the, the centurion says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. It's one of the most powerful prayers you could ever pray. In the midst of your doubt, I believe, help me in my unbelief. You are real, help me see it, help me believe it. I'm finite and sinful and I need you. And it's a point of dependency where even for our belief, we depend on Christ. And that's the word that God gives to us today. He helps us in our unbelief. And Thomas answered him, my Lord And my God, my Lord and my God, my leader and my savior, my Messiah and my king, my hope and my future, my everything, my Lord and my God. Jesus sought him out and he found Thomas and Thomas found himself on his knees making this good confession. My Lord and my God. And I want to ask you, which one of these characters are you most like? And don't say Jesus. (laughs) Don't say Jesus. Are you like the broken Mary? Maybe you've got a rap sheet, man, and it's just huge. You feel isolated and alone. Nobody wants you. You're damaged goods. Jesus is coming after you, man. He's seeking you. Or, Or maybe you're like the disciples seeking safety and security. And you're just hoping that this whole thing blows over. You're just going to cover your eyes and just wait it out. But Jesus comes in the midst of your locked doors and locked heart and says, I'm in here and you're going to deal with me now. And I'm not dead. I'm alive. And I'm giving you something you've never had before. And that's perfect peace in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he finds you out. Or maybe you're like Thomas and you've just been doubting. And the doubts aren't really a matter of your mind. Like some people doubt because they've just been so heavy in sin that they can't believe the truth anymore. And so Jesus comes in the midst of your confusion. He tells you what's real, what's true, and what's eternal. And he saves you. And you have no choice but to say these words. My Lord and my God. Can we say it together? My Lord and my God. He is risen. He is 
risen. And I want to tell you this, and I'm going to summarize for you the magnificent beauty of the gospel for those who believe. And I'm going to tell you the terror of hell for those who don't believe. Because today you're left with a choice. Will you make that good confession and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thus be saved? Because your sin was so bad that Jesus had to die. But at the same time, you were so dearly loved that Jesus gladly died. And the cross of Christ was a picture, a foretaste of God's wrath for your sin. It was as if a magnifying glass was placed upon that cross and all the hell, all the wrath of hell, all the sin of man, all the burden of sin was placed upon him and he was punished in your place. Because outside of that cross what you deserve is not eternal life with the father but eternal hell and damnation because you do not belong to him but what jesus did on the cross is call you brother call you sister call you friend and the truth of the gospel is that jesus christ took the death that you deserve and gave you the life that only he deserves, that you get the full inheritance of what belongs to the older brother, the perfect older brother. You get it all because of what he's done through the father. You get him, Jesus. You get him, my Lord and my God. And John writes these words in closing. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Oh, I'd love to see some of those, wouldn't you? But these are written. Listen, these are written. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So today you're making a decision. Will you keep believing? Will you start believing Or will you leave and wait for Jesus to find you out? Because you're here for a reason and God is chasing after you. He is the hound of heaven who is finding you out. And so I I say to you, for those who make the good confession, the communion table is open to you. It is open to you because he... His body was broken for you and his blood was spilled for you. So your body would not have to be broken so your blood would not be spilled. The perfect son of God died so that my son could live. So I could live. No other sacrifice that's acceptable than him for sin. And so will you believe it? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Let's pray. Father, this Easter Sunday, I'm reminded of that picture of my dad's smile. But Lord, that picture points me to one that's much greater and much more powerful and much more fulfilling. It's your smile. And your smile comes to me today, Lord, because of Christ. It's not a frown, it's not a grimace. It's one of approval, it's one of grace, it's one of forgiveness. God, I believe it. I believe it. We believe it, Lord. Help us in our unbelief where we struggle. Help us in those places of brokenness where we need you. God, help us in our doubts. Let us know that we are no longer orphans, but sons 
and daughters with full rights and ownership to your will and testament, which you now execute from the throne of grace. We thank you. In Jesus' name, the church says together, amen. And when ready, feel free to file down the aisles. We file down the center here. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, and receive the supper that the Lord has given us, the fulfillment of Christ's perfect work for you.